Hey, Outcomes Rocket Nation. Saul Marquez here. I want to talk to you about practicing virtually. Fullscript is a virtual dispensing platform that helps practitioners dispense professional-grade supplements and improve patient adherence from anywhere. For example, when you write a prescription, it's sent directly to patients via text or email, and when they place an order, the supplements get shipped right to their door. It has the most comprehensive catalog of products and has adherence tools like refill reminders and auto reorder. It's loaded with features like EHR integrations, patient wellness content, evidence-based protocols, and adjustable profit margins. Best of all, it's free. So try Fullscript today. If you're considering adding supplements to your treatment plans, visit fullscript.com slash rocket for an extensive guide on supplements and drug nutrient depletion and interactions. Visit fullscript.com slash rocket. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Afsane Naimola. She's an accomplished healthcare executive and investment banker. She is currently an executive in residence at Plug and Play, the world's largest early stage VC fund and corporate accelerator. She's also the managing partner of Zen Partners, an investment banking firm based in Palo Alto and New York, covering the next generation of health tech companies. We're going to be diving into innovation and healthcare investments, venture capital, and I'm so privileged to have Afsane here with us. Afsane, thanks so much for joining. Pleasure. So, Afsane, you know, you, you do some fascinating work in, in healthcare, and we'll dive into that on, on the venture front. But before we do, uh, we'd love to hear more about what inspires your work in, in healthcare. You know, I've uh, been an investment banker and a strategy advisor for over 30 years, and I started my career in technology. So I come to healthcare with a fairly deep knowledge of what I call horizontal technologies. And about 20 years ago, Honestly, I fell into healthcare just doing a couple of deals. And then once I got to know the dynamics of the industry, it was, you know, no looking back. And I got heavily involved and uh, really started focusing on, on the industry and really for three, three main reasons. One is, you know, it is the largest industry in our economy. It's 18% of our economy. It's the only industry that directly impacts every human being in our country. And probably most importantly, it's an industry that despite its size, its social impact, it is probably still to this day way behind, for example, fintech and some other technologies. So it's an industry that really needed, in my opinion, innovation, and it was really through technologies that we can bend the cost curve. So I said, well, I have some good tech background. I love the industry. And it was almost like a calling. I said, that's how I'm going to get involved with this um, health technology and make sure that I focus on sectors of the industry that uh, could bend the cost curve. I love it. I love it. You, you, you sort of just accidentally through a couple deals got involved. Then strategically, you said, hmm, yeah, this is a good fit and the impact's big. So yes. let's, let's roll up our sleeves. Yes, exactly. 
I love it. And and so and so now, you know, your your role as managing partner of Zen Partners and executive in residence at Plug and Play, you're seeing a lot of main stage work happening. And so companies coming up with new ideas and businesses succeeding, businesses failing. You know, what would you say you guys are up to? And really, I guess where should we focus? You know, should we focus on plug and play or Zen Partners or more? I can more? I can touch base on both. Really, they're okay. somewhat interchangeable. Um, so you know, as an investment bank banker, I've done about 150 mergers and acquisition transactions. I've raised over 12 billion dollars of capital to IPOs, private placements, debt offerings, equity offerings. You know. When you do so many deals and you, you know, I've met thousands of CEOs and thousands of companies over my 30-some year career, you develop what I call an experiential intuition, um, you know, a pattern recognition. So what I, the reason when I moved to Silicon Valley three years ago from New York, Plug and Play invited me to become an EIR uh, and I was like, okay, I don't have a lot of early stage uh, experience, but I know a lot about healthcare and I know a lot about next generation technologies. And the opportunity afforded me listening to pitches like 20, 30 pitches a month mm-hmm. of different companies addressing different parts of healthcare. And then, you know, it's been three and a half years now. And what I, what EIRs do at uh, Plug and Play, we do really two things. One is we help the five different venture funds that we have pick investments. And more importantly, we take some of those mid-stage, for me, it's mostly early to mid-stage companies. We take it under our wing as EIRs. We uh, work with the founding teams on everything from product strategy, go-to-market strategy, channel strategy, and help them really articulate uh, their value proposition because especially the first time founders, they are sitting on a great technology, but I would say a good 80% of them do not know how to articulate the value mm-hmm. proposition. And when, you know, as investment bankers, we have done a ton of pitches, right? We, our job is to package companies and tell the story to investors. And uh, so we help them articulate their value proposition and really sharpen their skills in like, okay, now that I can articulate my value proposition, where is the best, which markets are the best fit for, for, more, for my company? So, you know, having been an investment banker is helping me quite a bit with being an EIR and really helping this uh, great early stage, mid-stage companies go to the next level, if you will. No, no, that's, that's fascinating. And so, you know, it's interesting that you feel a lot of a lot of these companies that are really like you know knee deep, neck deep in their technologies, they struggle with the story. Why? Why do you think that is? I think it's just a matter of you know, it just takes a certain founder to be both in the you know see the panoramic view as mm-hmm. well as being in the we and really being able to see the the ground level story as well as stepping back and saying, okay, in the grand scheme of things, how the, where does my company fit? And where should I sell? Where should I just give up and 
and forget about it because of competition, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of it is just being first-time founders or being really married and in love with their technology, but not knowing, you know, uh, how to package it. And, you know, uh, raising money, selling a company, it's all about how you tell the story. Hmm. No, that's great. I appreciate that. And you were about to mention something else. And I just had a question. Yeah, as a a banker, I think, you know, investment banking, especially on the West Coast, I have to say, you know, I worked in Europe uh, and I worked in on the East Coast, but investment bankers are not, we're not well understood on the West Coast because West Coast, you know, you have to be an engineer to really matter. And, you know, the job of investment banker, I think is a really important job for one helping the founders articulate their story, putting a good presentation together to be able to raise money. And if you're selling your company, who is the best company for you to go? We should go to to sell. Who really needs this technology? And just give give you an idea, you know, I was working with, it's a great example of what embodies what I'm about to say. So there was a company that was in a you know medical display for minimally invasive surgery. And, you know, they came to us, they have, had worked really, really hard. It was an amazing company, 90% market share. And the company said, oh, yeah, you know, we just hired this investment banker and this investment banker thinks that we should be sold for X because that comparable companies in the display industry are sold for X. And I said, wait a minute, you're not a display company. Your product manifests as a display company, but you're really an embedded software. It is your embedded software that allows you to do what you do with minimally invasive surgery. And I think you should be sold for why? Because those are not the comparable companies. We should look at embedded software companies. And lo and behold, he said, okay, I'm going to, you know, let go of my current banker. You're hired. And we sold the company at 70% more than what he was told he could sell his company because (laughs) we went we didn't go to display companies to sell them. We went to embedded software companies to sell. And this is one of many, many examples of the value that an investment banker can bring to the table. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's, it's that ability to see across sectors, but also just you know across different companies, not necessarily uh, what it seemed. You said it manifested as such, but it, you know, they were actually something else. And so how would you say... Maybe that's one example. Do you have any others where... where oh, you... yeah. Oh, yeah. I have many. I have actually one very current example. Okay. So, you know, remote patient monitoring is... Um, big now. Especially in the virtual care post-COVID is big. Yep. Unfortunately, remote patient monitoring companies are a dime a dozen. Everybody's getting into remote patient monitoring. And, uh, you know, most of the companies that are getting into remote patient monitoring have their own hardware. You know, they bring this blood pressure and wireless scales and oximeters to be able to let the doctors know how their patients are doing remotely. But most of them have proprietary devices and proprietary software. So I met this amazing, what we call RPM, remote patient monitoring company, Mm -hmm. last year. And, you know, the, the founder presently uh, at the time, was selling the service to rural areas that didn't, you know, people who didn't have Wi-Fi and patients who didn't have 
smartphone because a lot of these RPM companies, you need to have an RPM, uh, you need to have a smartphone, you have to like take a picture of the numbers on your glucose monitoring device or uh, blood pressure device to send to the doctor. So like the, the patient has to do a lot of the work. And this company, uh, this founder built a system that automatically, uh, first of all, she's hardware, the founders build a system that is hardware agnostic. So any hardware can connect to the system to APIs. That's big. And, and they build a system that automatically, without patient doesn't have to do anything, just measure. Automatically, the data is sent to the cloud of this company. And the doctor, within three seconds, can look at the results. And, you know, they were in the market trying to see, you know, seek advisors, try to see who they should work with to raise money. And, and you know, there were some pushbacks, like, oh, you're like in any other RPM companies. And, and then I got involved. And then, you know, the more we dug in, we realized this is RPM as a service company. What they have built is a fire-enabled cloud. It is the most incredible, powerful cloud that any device, you could just plug it in through APIs, which take less than two weeks or any, not only device. So, you know, they were selling it to doctors for their patients and the doctors post COVID said, well, you know, I really would like to do a virtual visit on, on the same platform with, with my patients. And so the virtual visit, they build it in two weeks and because it's a fire enabled platform. And so the, the doctor doesn't have to get out of the system to go into a virtual visit dashboard and then come back, everything is done. Then doctor said, well, I would like to have my billing done on this. They build a billing. And I have not seen anything like this. And so I said, you know, after weeks of working, this is really exciting because, you know, all of a sudden I said, you know what, you're not an RPM company. You're an RPM as service. Yeah. And you are a mass customization. Anything, you know, Providers can pick and choose. Device companies can come to you and get connected. So, so that's another great example of um, digging deep. This company didn't know what a treasure they had built, if you will. So that's how. That's another great example of crystallizing the value proposition and articulating yeah. really the com- what the company was all about. Yeah, and it and it's oftentimes just I guess la- it's, you don't know what you don't know, right? And when you see so many of these and you're familiar with different models, then you could really begin to appreciate uh, what it is that you've built, or maybe you don't even realize that that's what you've built, and you need the right framework. Right? Yes, 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 exactly, exactly, and and that's really you know banking, investment banking, and. You know, to some extent, also venture capital and private equity, you know, we see so many deals. We see so many failures and successes that, as I said, I love the phrase experiential intuition. You develop this intuition through the pattern recognition that you say, okay, you know, this company, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, is going to fail, forget it. Or this company is amazing and they know what they're doing, so they really don't need me. But, oh, this company... Is amazing, but they don't really know what they have built. Let me help them articulate 
Mm. What they have built. So what's this uh, RPM as a service company called? It's called LucidAct. L-U-C-I-D-A-C-T. LucidAct.com. LucidAct.com. Yes. Because uh, I'm sure you, you know, you built them. You built, you, you, that was a total hook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And, and you know, it's a great female founder and, you know, it's cool. pleasure to work with, with a woman founder and yeah. a first time founder. I love it. I love it. Lucid Act, one of many. And yeah, you know, it just it's it's knowing what it is, how to frame it. What would you say other than the story, right? And and articulation of the value, which is like huge when you when you think about product market fit, what's one of the biggest mistakes that that founders make? And and it could be at any stage of the process, whether it be raising money or or selling or IPOing, you know, what's the, what's the biggest mistake that you see made? Let me tell you what I think a successful founder embodies, and then I'll tell you the opposite, right? I think okay. a successful founder should embody two important characteristics, humility and confidence. So being humble and confident is a very potent in my opinion, secrets of success. But it is not easily doable. So I have seen founders that think that their product is the best and nobody else is better than them. And they're not listening. To, you know, there are all these other competitors. You cannot say you're the best or you're this or that. You know, just, just be a little bit more humble and acknowledge that, okay, there are competitors, but the market is big enough that hopefully I, if I execute right, I can succeed. So, so there are, I think there are founders that are way overconfident. And then the other side, there's a, there are founders that are way too humble. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they uh, you know, they, they don't project confidence. And, you know, you cannot raise money or sell your company if you're, if you're not projecting the right confidence. So it's right. just the ability to mesh humility empathy you know humility itself is an umbrella for a lot of other things humility is an umbrella for humbleness for empathy so it's to be able to mesh the humility with grounded confidence is really what i think every founder should aspire for i think those are two two great ones and and really i guess it's the opposite being don't be too humble. Don't be too too confident. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. A good mi- yeah. You got to have a good mix of both. And so, you know, there's tons of stories of of you know deals gone wrong or 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 opportunities uh, that have opened up because of a critical investor. Any any thoughts there? As 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 listeners think about you know pitfalls in the in the investing process. You mean founders that are trying to raise money? To raise Is that money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of words of advice I have is investors don't like to invest in a person. So make sure you have a founding team. That's number one. Nobody would like to invest in one person. Yeah, very few companies have been able to pull it off like Travis at Uber and a few others, but, you know, even Microsoft, Google, you know, all of these guys have founders, right? More than one person. So make sure you have a two or three group of people that bring 
variety of backgrounds together to be able to execute on the plan. So that's the first thing that I, so if you are a single guy and you think, oh, I did the technology and therefore I'm going to be everything. I'm going to be CEO, you know, president, CXO, chief fundraiser, chief sales officer. It's not going to go. So make sure you you recruit co-founders. I think the other thing is have a, you know, have an open mind to bring advisors early in the process. Again, people who, especially first-time founders, mm-hmm. people who have been there, done that, again, pattern recognition, you know, they have gone through the oven, they have been fried, <laughs> 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 they, have, they have had uh, successes, they have had failures. Uh, so, you know, surround yourself with two or three co-founders and two or three early stage when you're early advisors that really understand your uh, industry. Because, you know, I found a lot of times founders say, oh, you know what? I only want advisors that can open doors so I can sell my products. Well, that's good. That's honorable. But that's not always, that shouldn't always be the requirement. Go with people that really understand your technology and, and may be able to open some doors for you. So that's the second thing. And the third, I would say, is, again, remember we were talking about being humble and confident. So right. there is a, in, in a business model, there's also two kind of a contrary phenomena. You have to, as a founder, you have to have two valves in front of you. One valve is, you know, be steadfast to, to do what you think your company should do. And then the other valve is what I call the pivot valve. Hmm. Right. And yeah. and to be able to pivot when you think it's best to pivot. And I have many examples of that. So it's like, yes, I, I kind of know what my mission is, but then I know what my technology can offer. But let me also pivot, have flexibility to pivot. And I know, you know, there is this amazing company called Olive, which is robotic process automation for revenue cycle management yeah, we in, uh, in healthcare. Right. And I yeah. think they have raised like, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 million dollars. I don't know. But they have pivoted so many times. Hmm. Another one, SIAP, an oncology real world data hmm. company. Okay. They have pivoted 10 times, but they they never really took their eyes off of the excellence of their underlying technology is the business model. So as a founder, sure. have those two valves in mind. A, stay fast in your mission and B, a pivot valve that you have to fine tune your operating model. I think that's great. And and really the the pivoting has to do with product market fit, right? Just getting fine tuning, fine tuning until you or or even changing, right? To you yeah, get absolutely channels. Right. You may you may Decide that indirect channels are better than direct channels. You may decide just the opposite. These indirect channel partners are not doing me any good. I got to go direct to the customer. And no, I know cost of customer acquisition is more more expensive, but that's that's probably the best better way. So you're absolutely right. It's a business model. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's really great. That's really great, Afsane. It is super super uh, interesting. And uh, and you know, as as you think about how things are changing, right? Everybody's saying pre-COVID, post-COVID. I'm a firm believer in that we do have a a new way of of doing things and it'll continue to change. 
toward digital. And so what, what would you say you're most excited about today? couple of things and I kind of put them in two different buckets. One, I put it in a scientific bucket and one, I put it in IT bucket. So the IT bucket is clearly everything and anything that is remote should be remote. So I I think some of, we will have, obviously the use of virtual care is up, whatever, 6,000% or something, but some of it, you know, it's not going to stay that way, but I think the world has changed forever. And one of the reasons it has changed forever, thank God for CMS. Thank God. CMS has been so helpful and so elastic and flexible in reimbursing things they didn't use to reimburse virtually. They, For the first time now, they are reimbursing remote patient monitoring. They never used to do that. The fact that you're, you don't have to be licensed in a state that you receive, you know, do a virtual call. I mean, that may, you know, there may be a pushback there in the long run. So anything and everything that is remote. So what does that mean? Remote a hospital at home. I think that's a real possibility. And it will be fueled by these different remote patient monitoring devices. You know, people are talking about remote ICU. You know, there are some experiments that are being done there. So on the IT side, I, I would say anything that is remote, thank God for CMS that is fueling that, that industry because people want to get paid for it. If CMS wasn't reimbursing, we won't be here. So CMS is reimbursing, payers are reimbursing. On the IT side, the other thing that I'm really excited about is ambient voice. So we are early stages of this. This hmm. is basically the ambient voice listening to the conversation between the doctor and the patient and, you know, populating the EMR automatically. And then it will be some, you know, editing that has to be done rather than, you know, nowadays, From it, scratch you know, when after. we had, yeah, when we had in-person visits, my doctor never really looked at me. He yeah. or she would be looking at the, you know, EMR uh, talking to me. So that, that I, I'm very excited about that. You know, and I think we are edging towards better and better interoperability. So, you know, we are seeing some good technologies there uh, that are helping a physician that needs to pull data from three different EMRs on the patient. You know, there are companies that can normalize the data and harmonize the data and render it to the physician in one language, if you will, one terminology. So there is really exciting stuff there happening on the on the scientific side in the scientific bucket i am really super excited about these ai engines for drug discovery mm-hmm. so these are ai engines that have ingested thousands and thousands and thousands of peer reviewed literature you know formulas and so to be able to, for the scientists to look at uh, these AI engines and, you know, they're, they're not going to discover drug, but they're going to expedite drug discovery. I mean, the, some of these AI engines, for example, have been able to uh, repurpose existing drugs or orphan drugs that, you know, have been written off and all of a sudden these drugs are coming back for other purposes. So that's really, really exciting to me. So this AI engine for drug discovery, which is really a marriage between IT and science. And then the other thing that is 
really exciting to me is we are just the beginning of gene editing with all its pitfalls of ethics and everything that any new technology of this magnitude would entail. You know, a company just got funded. Gene editing is mostly for healing difficult orphan diseases, but, you know, this company just got funded about 80 million or something. I don't remember their name that they're now doing gene editing for diabetes. Right, right. My God, that, how, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> so those are, those are some of the areas uh, that truly just, just makes me really excited. I, and this is why I got into healthcare. It's like you never stop learning because innovation never stops. Yeah, especially, especially as it relates to health and, and, and you know, our, our body extending our lifespan, our health span. It is never dull. Appreciate you sharing that, those insights, Afsane. And, and you know, as we, as we wind down the, the interview, quick one for you. Do you have a book you'd recommend to us? You know, I don't read books. I read about 20 newsletters a day. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I really, you know, uh, on a personal note, my, the book that sits by my bed, Twenty four seven all the time is the power of now. The power now, which is by Eckhart Tolle, oh. which it's a, it's more of a spiritual book. As, as a person, you know, I really believe I, I feel like I'm a Buddhist more than anything else. So I really feel my participation in healthcare more of a spiritual journey. But you know, I uh, sorry, I don't really have a quote unquote healthcare book that I can recommend. Only power no, of now. That's okay, it I, I have am to also. Be I also should say that I, I do write monthly newsletter. If anybody wants to subscribe to it, I'm happy they can send me their... Uh, so this monthly newsletter has 10,000 readers. It's a one-page editorial that I write every month about what's on my mind. And then the rest of it is all the important transactions that have done have been done for the month and what I think of them. We're, so it's a really uh... good... Where can we find that, Afsane? Just email me at Afsane, A-F-S-A-N-E-H, mm-hmm. at zenpartners, X-E-N, partners.com. Mm-hmm. I will make sure our administrator puts it, puts you on the, the list, distribution list. Love it. Well, please. It's, it's really next generation. It's all about next generation healthcare and what's around the corner. You know, I started talking about a lot of things that are now uh, at the forefront two, three, four years ago. So that's the only reading I may recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, that's good. (laughs) Power of Now and your newsletter. (laughs) Yes, my newsletter is called HIT Greatest Hits. I love it. I love it. HIT Greatest Hits, Power of Now. And listeners, send an email to Afsane, and it's A-F-S-A-N-E-H. At and is it Zen Health? Zen Partners. X-E-N Zen Partners. Partners. Okay, xenpartners. Uh, dot com, and we'll we'll leave a link to to Afsana's email in the show notes so that you could email her if you want that email uh, or that uh, letter that she produces. I certainly will be signing up, Afsana. Thank you for for the invitation there, and. Um, what uh, closing thought would you leave us with? This has been a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, wh- what should we be thinking about as we wrap this up with you? 
I know you have a very varied audience, so this may or may not resonate with everybody listening, but, uh, you know, keep innovating. There is a lot of money. There is a lot of money out there. And make sure whatever you're working on or innovating, a story can be built around it, whether it's your, you know, a lot of people go and start companies because they have had such horrendous experience in the healthcare industry themselves. Uh, you know, Oscar, the insurance company, the next gen insurance company started that way, for example. A lot of mm-hmm. some of these RPM companies have started that way. So, you know, I think it's like the curve because our industry is in such deep need of innovation. The curve of innovation it hasn't bended in this industry. You know, there's only so much you can innovate extracting oil from the ground, right? Right. But the curve of innovation in healthcare hasn't bent. So there is a lot of money for good ideas. So if you have them, keep innovating. That's my concluding thought. <laughs> I love it, Afsan. <laughs> Very succinct and uh, encouraging for for all of us uh, innovating in healthcare. Please continue innovating. There's tons of cash out there for you. You just got to have the right story the right founders yeah. and uh and don't don't uh don't uh, uh be afraid to pivot <laughs> make sure and, and be humble and confident at the same time there we go there we go that takes us home <laughs> <laughs> exactly i love exactly. it i'm thank you so much this has been a ton of fun oh, my pleasure thank you for giving me the opportunity i really yeah. enjoyed it thank you Sal. absolutely cheers